0: You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, jean marie Penel. My intention is to share simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life and home, as well as give you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created a safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solution with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversation with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. And today I have a dear friend and colleague, Lorena Seidel. Uh, Lorena and I have met online. We've collaborated on projects. We've had a lot of virtual Zoom tea time uh, to share what we're Doing And so I wanted to bring her on so she could share with all of you the work uh, that she is doing with parents. So Lorena, thank you for being here today and making the time to be on The Art of Parenting. Oh my goodness. Thank you
1: for having me. It's such a
0: pleasure and an honor to be with
1: you and with, and with your community. I'm super excited.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I always like to start with having my guests define what the art of parenting means to them?
1: Ooh, that's that's a good one. Well, I think that for me, it has been evolving, uh, you know, my idea of the art of parenting. But I think that I've arrived to this place where the art of parenting for me right now is breaking decades of conditioning and generational patterns that hold us back from being the mom or the parent that we want to be. So I, I believe that one generation of emotionally intelligent parents will be able to raise this amazing new generation of humans who can finally heal humanity. So that's what I've been
0: thinking when it comes to the art of parenting these days. Yes. And that's beautiful. What a, what a big task, right? To, to, heal, to heal generations before us so that we can evolve as parents and our children can evolve as parents. So before we get uh, going into our conversation, I would love if you would share with our listeners a little bit of your background and how you came to do the work that you're doing today.
1: Yes. Um oh. I started this journey, my oldest is 12 and a half now, so in that period of time when I was expecting her, I started to dive into all things to make sure I would be equipped to be a good mom, the mom I wanted to be, so I already had a background in education, I had already been a Montessori teacher, um, certified teacher in the classroom for about six years at the time, and... uh, I was completing my master's in social-emotional learning, so I was feeling kind of good and confident about the the role of being a mom at the time. I felt like I I had uh, a lot of, the in theory, I had uh, a lot of knowledge and some experience with those years in the classroom. Um, I was teaching the primary ages, so they were, you know, three to six, and... uh, I, you know, became a mom, and I remember coming home with that precious baby. We left the hospital. I'm sitting on the back seat, and my husband is driving 15 miles an hour. I'm sure that a lot of parents remember that moment. And I was thinking, I have this most precious cargo with me. And it just I was just so filled with love and reverence and respect and honor for this baby, right? And then a couple of years goes by, right? We fast forward two years, and I had already had my second. They were only 18 months apart. And so two years after I brought home that baby, I realized that there I was. I was raising my voice. I was threatening. I was doing a timeout, I was trying to punish that, you know, two-year-old. And, of course, I was tired with all the demands of the newborn that I had and the nursing and the lack of sleep. And then, of course, the two-year-old is approaching that terrific twos and started to talk back and say no, want to hurt the baby. And all of a sudden, that moment for me was... You know, it hit me and I realized that, wait a second, what happened here? How did I go from that love and reverence, respect to this? And all of a sudden I realized I was becoming the parent that I promised myself I wouldn't be. So I think that my story even goes back Way back when I was a child, and I grew up in a very emotionally un, unintelligent uh, family. So, an emotionally unintelligent family, and raised in Brazil, South Brazil, with a lot of the the shaming and the blaming, a lot of punishments, uh, and just you know, just a lot of uh, um, you know, spanking, and you know, many other things. And uh, I, I really made that vow that I wouldn't replicate that. And then I realized that it was just much bigger than my willpower, just me wanting to be a good mom. That wasn't really enough, that I had been programmed and I had this default mode that was just so easy for me to go there in the heat of the moment. So that got me to this just got me fired up to figure it out, a way to crack the code and rewire myself or figure out what I needed to do to become the mom I wanted to be. So I think that that was when my journey really started. I went back to looking at all the books I have read, and then I went deeper and became certified in positive discipline, both for parents and then teachers. And I got into mindfulness-based distress reduction, got certified in that. I was just trying everything. I was uh... You know, the experts would tell me to, you know, maybe try meditation or yoga. So I did that. I tried more nature. We did that. A lot of nature walks and baked bread. <laughs> and I, I set up the environment, like the Montessori-like environment at home. Um, no cribs, floor bed, all the kitchen, every, every area of the house was prepared. And I was just doing all the things. And trying all of that. And it was still, I realized that nothing really shifted for me until I upgraded my mindset and my um, just my own emotional uh, intelligence skills. I realized that that was really when I was able to make a shift. So then from that moment on, when I figured out that I needed to just rewired the way i thought it was i had inherited so much so many patterns and so many limiting beliefs and so many bad habits and i needed to you know get rid of that and replace that so then when i figured out how to do that for myself i thought okay if i can do this for myself considering that i came from such a toxic unhealthy dynamic growing up then i think i can help a lot more parents do the same. So then that that was when my work really became all about the mindset and the emotional intelligence.
0: Love that and and it's amazing how, you know, your awareness that your upbringing was toxic ha- has helped you rewire because I as I was listening to you it's like, well, at least you had that awareness that this was maybe not the best environment to thrive but i'm sure that there's a lot of parents who maybe don't realize that right there you you hear a lot of well i was spanked and i came out you know and i'm fine or i came out okay and we don't realize like the 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 deep you know trauma that that those experiences might have caused
1: yes and i think for me it was so Clear, and I maybe I had this awareness because it was so obvious that what I had was really wrong. I remember this moment, and I think that that was the moment that I probably decided that this was my my mission in life. But I was about eight and eight nine, and I have a, a brother who's just a year older than me. It was just the two of us, and I I always remember this moment that my mom is in a fit of rage. And we have touched something or played with something we shouldn't have, or maybe we broke it. I don't remember what we did wrong, but I remember being in my old kitchen in our house and we are kneeling down. My mom is making us kneel down and kiss her feet to apologize for this thing that we did. So it was that type of emotional abuse, um, and I mean, we had, we were spanked with the belt, with the stick, with the everything. <laughs> so there was just so much of that. And I remember in that moment when I was kneeling down and looking up at her and she just seemed so tall, I guess, because I was kneeling down. But I remember my face so red. I was just so humiliated. And I remember like tearing up and just thinking that this is wrong. Like, I'm not going to do this. And I, I think that that was like, I remember that moment so much. So maybe that was... You know why I was just so aware that that was wrong. It was just, I think maybe some families didn't grow up with that much,
0: or just didn't have that awakening, right? You had it at eight years of age. You you knew that there was something fundamentally wrong with this experience, and and you know you ingrained that in you, and you 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 know became a parent with that experience, and you know that that was a beautiful awareness. Um. Are you are your parents still alive? They are. And what what is what's your relationship with your uh your mother? Like have you been able to help her with her emotional intelligence? Or or is that something that you don't um, <laughs> talk about?
1: No, it's interesting. And I'm glad you asked this, because for the longest time, we didn't get along. So we didn't have a healthy parent-child dynamic. And there was a lot of, you know, those little seeds of mistrust and miscommunication and resentment and perceived favors and all those things, right, that we grew up but we grew up with, I think it did impact. So uh, to the point that when I look back, I I actually left at 19 and I haven't been, I mean, I've been back to visit, but I've chosen to live a life for 20 years now here um, in America. So we don't have, um, we're much closer now and I've healed and forgave her. And we have talked about And I now understand that, you know, she had the best intentions, just like all of us, right? We have the best intentions. We don't have the best mindset or the best strategy or the skills. And I I can see that she was also a very young mother. I understand that she also came from a a very uh, toxic parent-child dynamic. Her father was very abusive, so she was physically, verbally, even sexually abused by her dad, my grandpa. So, And then he also came from a very abusive relationship with his mother. So I I really came, I come from several generations of toxic parents. So I was really wired to be a, a messed up mom, if I didn't do this work, <laughs> I would for sure I know with all my heart, I would be replicating that same model.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for thank you for having done the work that you are now sharing with so many other parents. Uh, because I think, you know, a lot of the kind of parenting experts I talk to on the show is oftentimes it comes from a personal experience, you know, where we realize like when I when I learn to do something better. I mean, it for, for me, for example, having learned about Montessori, I realized like, oh my gosh, why why was this information hidden from me? Like I need to share this with the world. Uh and you know, it's the same thing with with your work of this uh emotional intelligence and and really that mindset that we um, can go into parenting. Now, I, I'd love if you could share a little bit about this idea of mindset, because I think that this is a word that is used, you know, generously these days. But when it comes to parenting, like, what does that really mean to you to to change our mindset uh, as a parent?
1: Yes, okay, that's really good. Because uh, I, the way I like to explain to my clients is this. We all know who we are when we are in a great state of mind. So when you think of those days when you are feeling great and happy and fulfilled and purposeful, and you're just in a great state of being, right? In a great state of mind, nothing really phases you. You can look the other way. You can let things roll off your shoulders. No one can really push your buttons. And you can rise above the situation, any situation, right? You can navigate that well. And so we've all had glimpses of what we are like when we're in that state of mind. And the thing is, we spend a lot of time in uh, not in that state of mind. (laughs) I call it a surviving state of mind, right? The primal state of mind. So when we think of mindset, it's really... uh, understanding that it doesn't really matter. We hear so much when it comes to parenting. I've read all the books, right? Hundreds of them. I went to the talks and I've taken the classes. I got all these certifications and experience and classroom years and all of that. And what I learned is that all of these things are wonderful and the resources that we get and the things we read from all the experts, they are super informational, they are very inspirational, they're motivational, but they're not transformational because in the heat of the moment, we will default to our beliefs, those beliefs that we developed when we were young in the first seven years of life, right, that are still running our lives, so, mindset is really being able to reshape those beliefs and look at all these limiting beliefs, right? Of course, we have hundreds, thousands, millions of beliefs that we acquired in the course of our lives. And some are positive, they're great beliefs, but a lot of them, most of them, are limiting beliefs. They're beliefs that hold us back from who we want to be or what we want. So when we can flip these beliefs, right, work on that mindset, um, the research tells us that that is really 80% of our future success will come from right in between our ears. It's our mindset and our emotional intelligence. So what I've noticed is that I knew in, in I had all these strategies, right? You you and I both have the, the positive discipline background and they are fantastic strategies. And... Uh, I could have them all printed out and on my refrigerator and like what to ask instead of tell and all the things. But in the heat of the moment, I couldn't access them. My brain, you know, I just wouldn't be in the state of mind I needed to be to be able to use the strategies. And to be able to coach my child, and to be able to connect, communicate with love, to be to stay in that kind and firm. So none of the stuff that I was getting from all these different things I've tried, right—the mindfulness, the positive discipline, the Montessori stuff, the uh, you know lifestyle, uh, all the things I was trying to do—I noticed that they they never really. Worked until I changed the way I thought, the, my beliefs, and that's for me what this mindset work is all about.
0: So, so when you say change your belief, what are you changing it to, though? Because you, you know, what was the belief that you went from, and and what did you change it to?
1: Mm-hmm. So we have all these. Imagine that like our children right now, right? We're parenting them and every single day we are making decisions about ourselves, about others and about the world, right? And based on these decisions about ourselves, others and the world, we decide if we can, if we have to thrive or if we have to survive or if we can thrive. So little things that we do and of course it was done to us, right? That we may not even remember. But for example, let's say, our 2 year olds they put their shoes on by themselves and then we look at them and say oh honey that's on the wrong foot they are getting a message right uh, that maybe they didn't do it right that maybe they are not good maybe they didn't meet our expectations or somehow they fail right or they were wrong and those little moments right it, they we internalize these things and we develop beliefs around around these experiences, right? About ourselves, about our parents, about the, the world around us. So as you can imagine, right? Like maybe, for example, our kids are cooking with us or baking with us and they make the cookies, but we go and reshape the cookies uh, because they maybe didn't space them out right on the baking sheet or we wanted things to look more round. But they... They noticed that. They just saw us reshaping what the work that they just did. And they may see that as, oh, she didn't like what I did or what I did wasn't good enough. And it didn't meet her expectation again, right? So then that not good enough belief starts there that I'm not capable, I can't do it. So we have, you know, millions of these limiting beliefs. So the work for me was to look, take a really good look at what was causing me. Why would all of those limiting beliefs and bad habits and patterns, right? How they were now impacting the way that I act and react and interact with my kids. So um, that was the work for me to look and see what is the belief here. So, for example... Uh, if the kids are making a mess or they are not listening or they, things are chaotic, I may start to think that ah, oh, this is a lot. They are all, all over the place and nobody listens to me. They're walking all over me. Then I start feeling maybe disrespected, or maybe I feel frustrated, I feel stressed, I feel angry. And then it triggers a belief. I started developing a belief, right, that I couldn't speak to my parents like that. I couldn't, I wouldn't dare to do something like that. Uh, I would have already gotten a punishment by now. And you, now all of a sudden, you decided that I'm going to lay down the law here because this is unacceptable. This is disrespectful. This shouldn't be happening this way, right? But it's all coming from these beliefs that we grew up with right? So we, now these moments are triggering. So all of a sudden I start thinking they need more discipline. I need to do something about it. I'm going to take something away or I'm going to threaten them and, or I'm going to yell, right? So that is the, the yelling and us threatening or punishing or whatever it is that we do really comes from those beliefs and patterns and bad habits that we've inherited. Does that right,
0: that? right. No, it does make sense. I was trying to to have like this understanding of what you're shifting from. So, so you know, you were saying maybe you had a belief that, you know, a- as a parent, you needed to have more respect or discipline more, right? That was kind of a belief. So, what you worked on is transforming that so that you could see more what the child needs, what the what the importance of connection of and, and so forth. Am I correct? Yes. Okay.
1: I was just with a client today and I was talking to this dad with a couple, but the dad was talking about how last night... The girls. He had to ask the girls. They have three daughters as well, and they had to ask them to come and have dinner several times. And they were writing these cards to grandma because it was grandma's birthday, and they were making cards for grandma. And and then I asked, so then what happened? And he said, well, I got upset, and then um, I, you know, I was a little bit, you know, just firmer with them. And then I talked to them, asked them, how would you feel if I ignore you? And then my middle daughter asked for something and I ignored her. Cause I, you know, and, and then I asked her, see, how does that feel? And I was like, OK, what did she say? He's like, well, she just, you know, she didn't say anything. And then I said, what else did you do? And, you know, what else did they do? And we were just kind of, you know, having that conversation. And he said, well, then I was telling them that uh, if I did that, Like growing up, that was unacceptable that I could never do that. And so I was, you know, picking up as he's telling the story, I'm seeing all these limiting beliefs, right, that now is shaping up how he interacts with his kids. And I asked, I was like, were they writing the cards to grandma because you guys asked or did they want to do it? And he said, well, we asked them to do it. I said, okay. And they so they were sitting down doing something that you guys asked them to do and they were doing it. <laughs> and then you wanted them to come for dinner, right? And, and But they were in the zone and, you know, focused on that task. And and I helped them see. And as I'm asking the questions, he start, he's like, oh, I see where you're going. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> I guess that was incredibly, um, you know, disrespectful of us to expect and almost like entitled, like, you know, that we were, you know, expecting that they would just, okay, do what we we're asking you to do, but now just drop what you're doing and come do this other thing we're also asking you to do and do it right away, right now, right? Um, so he got it. He's like, oh, okay. I guess I could have, you know, validated. So once you, you right then in that moment, as I was asking these questions of him and trying to guide him to, to see it, he saw the limiting belief, right? And, he was like, and then he was able to, he's like, ah. Oh, And he could flip it. He's like, the problem wasn't that they didn't come when I asked. The problem wasn't that they were still making the cards. The problem was that I was expecting them to listen to me right away and to do as they are told right away and to never in making me repeat myself five times was I took it personally. I respect it. So he was able to see, and then I asked him, so what could you have done? Right. And he's like, wow, I could have validated that they were doing a great job with the cards. I could have told them to, you know, we're going to have dinner now. I'm sorry to interrupt this great work, but we're going to put it away for now, come back to it later. I could have, you know, he's like, now I can think of a million ways I could have done this better. Right. And he's like, but from that mindset, I couldn't think of anything better than lecturing them and trying to make them suffer for what they've done.
0: Right, right. And to me, I mean, from from the, the what you've just shared this story is, you know, I think we know, when when you were asking this dad, he knew, you know, better alternatives, but like you were explaining earlier, when we're in that, maybe that state where we've been triggered, where, where, you know, we feel that we have the right to impose what what needs to happen, right? We don't, uh, we we're not in touch with the more appropriate ways of interacting. Yes. So for me, it sounds like it's really about always taking a pause to be able to kind of tune in to how we really do want to show up.
1: Yes. And I think that the, for me, the mindset was the, the piece that was missing, right? Some, some people may have a, a great mindset and they're lacking strategies, right? They, all they know is the, the common parenting tools in America, which are yelling, shaming, blaming, threatening, bribing, rewarding, punishments, all of that, right? So when that's all they know, even if you have a great state of mind, you still need better strategies, but the mindset is like 80% of the work. And then you need strategies. And what I found out after working with you know, thousands of parents now, I picked up on these four things. This, you know, There's a pattern you know, after talking to so many parents that many parents lack the mindset. So that's the missing link for them. Uh, and for almost all of us, that is the case. Uh, but that's like the biggest obstacle is the mindset. Uh, for some parents, is the lack of strategy. They just don't know better strategy. Um, and then some parents may have, you could have the mindset and strategies, but if you are not great with your connection. So some parents, the biggest obstacle they have is connecting. And connecting is not so hard. We all know how to connect with our kids, uh, but sustaining that connection for longer periods of time. And then when things break down and we disconnect and we end up upset or they are upset. Uh, We are not good at repairing the connection. So that piece I found to be a huge piece of the work. And when I created my program, this framework, that connection is a big piece because without the connection, then our kids don't want to listen and they don't want to hear our good advice. They don't want to cooperate with us, collaborate or respect us. So, You could have mindset strategy, but if you're lacking the connection piece, you're still going to be having parenting trouble and breakdowns. Then I figured out another piece being that the skills, the emotional intelligence skills, because a lot of the time, our children's misbehavior comes from the lack of skills and our behaviors too. So until we get the whole family to elevate the skills, and build the skills, we won't see the problems diminishing. But there's a direct co-relationship between bringing the skills up and then the bad behavior and the bad interactions going down. Um, so those are the four pieces that now um, you know, the families and I focus on. It's mindset being the biggest one, um, and then the strategies, and then the connection, and then the emotional intelligence skills.
0: Perfect. Perfect. And, and, and that's, I mean, that sounds fabulous that I wish all families had this. And I know that you use what we have, which is a a beautiful tool in positive discipline called uh, family meetings. So we can either have family meetings or if we're in a classroom setting uh, classroom meetings. And I know that you've been working with families to help them kind of Hone in on this uh, tool, which is family meetings, and I'd love if you could just explain a little bit to our listeners how one might be able to set up this tool to be able to have that family connection and and that dynamic.
1: Yes, a family meeting to me is the best uh, strategy. If I if someone asked me like if I could only give one. Parenting strategy to parents to families. What would it be? It would be the family meeting. And if I had to throw away all of my strategies and keep only one, it would be family family meetings. The reason for family meeting, I think it's 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 really one of the biggest, um, I guess, misconceptions that we have as parents uh, when we start out this journey, and, and mostly even you know the mothers. I would say we do a lot of this work, this parenting work, we typically, and of course, there are different dynamics and some, you know, there's some amazing, you know, primary caregivers who are, you know, the fathers. Uh, But typically, you know, one parent will read the books and go to the talks, make notes, have every intention to implement. And they become, they start to become really aware of everything that could be better about the family dynamic, but that awareness lives in the mind of that one parent. And then all that knowledge, the great stuff they read and the talks they went to, all of that also lives in the mind of this one parent. And then this parent also learns all the implementation steps, everything that they should be doing differently. And again, all of that implementation is in the mind of this mother or dad. And our families are really bad mind readers. So, <laughs> yes, and life is happening and we are not the best communicators and our families are not mind readers. So that combination can be, can be hard because most of the time our families are not even aware of what's wrong, right? Sometimes maybe your partner doesn't even think that there's a problem with the amount of screen time the kids are getting. Maybe your grade school child comes home from school and eats all the snacks in the pantry, leaves all the wrappers around the house, but they don't see anything wrong with that. Like, that was delicious and I had a great time. (laughs) Like, I don't see anything wrong with that. And then your preteen or teenager, she doesn't think she has an attitude issue. You see all these things and you... You know, know what could be different, but nobody's going to fix what they don't think it's broken. So your family is really not working with you. You're working alone, and often we are—we're not all in one team. We are working against, and it's us against the kids, kids against us. Even some partners, we are stepping on each other's toes. We're not on the same page. We are undermining each other. So we're really not working together. So the family meeting is really this beautiful thing that creates the opportunity for a shared vision. So I talk a lot about that, like uh, the shared vision being one big piece. Our families don't really, uh, we don't communicate what we really dream about. So for example, I have moms that tell me how they hate the dinner time. That that's like an awful time of the day. It's so stressful. They are cooking sometimes, you know, two to three different meals. They are the only ones doing everything. They are already tired from you know the whole day, um, and then they have to call the kids. And when they finally come, they don't even like what they made. And then they are bribing the kids to take one more bite, threatening them that they won't get dessert if they don't finish. And the, the energy, the mood in the house is just the, the negative, you know, that negative dynamic is all over. And it's, it's just not a, a great moment for anyone. And then everybody gets up. And then the, you know, this parent is cleaning everything by themselves, often after bedtime too, having to do the dishes. And so, you know, moms tell me this all the time, parents tell me this all the time. And I often ask them, but have you shared your dream? What is it that you envision? How would you like it to go? And then they start, they don't even know. They're like, oh, I guess, you know, and as I, I asked them a little bit more, they start pouring out all of that they wish would happen instead. So they tell me, oh, I wish everybody would help out and we would cook together. Maybe we turn the music on, and we all dance in the kitchen. I envision us having a great time. And then You know, everybody's helping out. Someone is setting the table. Someone is, you know, my my toddler can clip flowers, put it in a vase, because we are a Montessori, you know, inspired family. Um we, you know, everything is accessible, so they are part of the the process. I envision that we're having, you know, a a great conversation, maybe sharing gratitudes, maybe we have a candle that we light up, maybe there's some sort of a ritual, a little blessing or a song. And all of a sudden, they are telling me all these things. And, And then we all clean up together, we turn the music on, and in five minutes, we get the kitchen cleared out. And and we have a great, it's just a joyful moment. So I say, okay, that's beautiful. That's a great vision. Have you shared with your family yet?
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> right? That's the trick, right? Living in your
1: mind. So you have to share. So that's one thing I, I ask you know, parents to do. Just go and dream together, right? What would be the perfect dinner? What would be the perfect morning or bedtime routine? The perfect weekend, right? Share the vision, all dream together. So once you have the shared vision, then it's easier to get everybody's buy-in. Now everybody is on the same page and they're like, oh, I see what mom is trying to do here. This is what she's envisioning. We can get on board with this. We can help out. Like this sounds fun.
0: And um, it's exactly I was going to say. And it sounds way more fun than what they've been experiencing.
1: It's way so. more fun, right? <laughs> you know, I always tell parents like we got to upgrade our. Parenting, upgrade the lifestyle, upgrade the dynamic. And then the family meeting also gives an opportunity for you to brainstorm solutions together and strategize, plan together, uh, you know, motivate each other, inspire each other and keep each other accountable. Right. So when I talk about family meeting, I tell parents if they notice uh, this is a really easy concept for the kids. Parents think I'm so afraid of family meetings. I, my kids are not going to do this; they're not going to like it. Or, and I say, well, your kids are having meetings every single day in school, from you know pre-K through high school. There is some sort of check-in points. It could be a circle time, a classroom meeting, but they are used to this, right? So the kids, they would be fine. Uh, And if we think about in our jobs, if we work outside, uh, organizations, corporations, they are used to having meetings, even if we have a a love-hate relationship with meetings because they could be incredibly boring or unproductive at times. But nothing really happens without people coming together with their minds to strategize and plan, brainstorm, all of that. And if you think of any activist group or organization, religious group, everybody meets, right? They meet every Sunday or, you know, there's always a meeting. And even sports teams, like if your kids are playing soccer, they will have a little meeting before the game to pump everybody up, to go over the strategies. And then after the games, the sports teams will get together again to review the tape and see what worked, what didn't, celebrate the wins, troubleshoot the, you know, whatever didn't work. So it's all over, but we are the only segment of society who doesn't have this habit of daily or weekly meetings. So no wonder that we are not, you know, getting along and that we are stuck in frustration and disconnection, fights and yelling, right? We're not uh, taking the time to work together. So you wanted me to help them kind of set up their meeting. So I would keep it really simple. And you could start with just this sharing of a vision, right? The vision together. But if you want to have a little bit of structure, I always say to start the meeting on a good note. So I typically help families. I facilitate these meetings um, with the families via Zoom or in person if they're locally. Um, And we pass around an item and they do a round of gratitude. It could be, you know, there's different exercises that we can do to start out that meeting on a positive note. And then we do in, you know, the next step is to work through some challenge or some issue and brainstorm together or role play. Um, I bring some social emotional learning exercises. So sometimes we put together an emotional first aid kit for our family, Or we might do a communication activity like the bug and the wish that it comes from positive discipline, which is great for expressing what's going on and voicing our grievances and then coming up with solutions. So we do something in the middle of the meeting and then we end the meeting on a positive note again. So uh, maybe we talk about what we're going to do together as a family or how we're going to celebrate this meeting or some families do a group hug or they have, you know, they, they take a, like a spirit animal card at the end. They decide that that's how they want to end. Some families will do a little um, EFT, a little tapping or some sort of a medit- something that ends on a high note, on a good note. Um, so that would be the structure for a very simple meeting. But of course, you know, you can get more, more elaborate and, you know, Facilitate some of these social emotional learning exercises that will be equipping the kids and coaching them and elevating their their skills with every meeting. So it could be every day or every week. Can you imagine, like at the in the course of a year, like you could have, you know, had fifty two meetings. That's fifty. If you do it every week, it's fifty two opportunities to connect, to together, to communicate better. All of that, so and build the skills, right? Fifty-two times, some families get into the with the which is the best habit is to have it every day, just very short, five minutes, uh, but come together every day, just like in a the classroom they do every single day. Um, so imagine three hundred sixty-five <laughs> opportunities to repair, to heal, all of it.
0: And and what I love about you know family meetings or classroom meetings because I, I used to do them in my classroom uh it's just that the fact that children feel seen and heard right that their their issues are important as well it's not these you know these family meetings are not just for the parents to impose their you know their request or anything this is really about you know coming together as a community as a a real full entity and and i just think it's very powerful so yeah you know definitely
1: And that you touched on something really great because some parents ruin the idea of family meeting because they make it about. Uh, talking about all the things that are wrong and lecturing the kids. And then it becomes like the kids are like, I don't want a family meeting.
0: (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember actually, uh, Jane Nelson, so the, the author of all the positive discipline books talking about how when you're first establishing them, you know, maybe the first two are just about planning something fun, like so that the children understand that this is about, you know, creating something together. So whether it's, you know, a picnic in the park or a birthday party that's coming up, it's about using this time to plan something. And then you can bring on, you know, whatever issue is going on and such and, and using, you know, what we call the, the family meeting agenda. So during the week, if there is an issue that comes up, we can offer to just put it on the agenda. So the child feels again, seen and heard, and they're there, they know that their issue is going to be talked about, um, at the next family meeting. So very powerful tool. Thank you for sharing that Lorena.
1: Yes. And I think that that is the really like all of my work where I think what I'm all about and my program is all about, everything is all about is helping parents step into this much bigger and better role. Because we're small, even a parenting, we end up caught in these little tasks because we wear so many different hats, and they are important. But we're cooking, we're cleaning, we're driving, we're entertaining our kids. We play doctor when they get hurt. We are planning their social schedules. We're doing all these little things. But what really moves the needle the most is being helping our children navigate life and help them Uh, in their relationships, navigates the the ins and outs of relationships, helping them navigate their challenging emotions in how they can sort out through their, you know, all of their stuff. And uh, I think that really being our kids' social emotional coach is the bigger and best role we're going to ever play as parents. And a lot of parents don't feel equipped or they don't feel confident. They don't feel like they have the skills, but when I ask in my workshops, I usually start a workshop and I ask, okay, so who's your child's social emotional coach? And they look at each other, the couples, and they're like, should we have one? Who is it? Is it the teachers? Like, and then I say, well, that's you, <laughs> right? And they are like, you know, some, some parents are, I see that look in their faces of like, I don't know. I, I don't think I can do this. Like, I, I have no idea how to be a social emotional coach. And I always tell parents, it doesn't really matter if we are equipped to do this, if we even want to take on this task or this role, like it or not, we either put in time and effort into creating a really healthy emotional dynamic, or we're going to put time dealing with the aftermath of their negative behavior and their negative emotions, right? So one way we, we end up having to do the work but we really like it or not, we are our kids' social emotional coach. So the more we can do to become better equipped at it, the better.
0: Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. This has been really delightful to learn from you, especially about the family meetings. And I hope that our listeners, um, you know, take you up on, on creating these in their homes. Now, a- as we wrap up, I would love to ask maybe a more personal question, if I may. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. And that is that uh, you said your eldest is almost 13. So if you were to go back, you know, 13 and a half, 14 years ago, when you were expecting your first child, what wise words would you tell yourself knowing all that you know today?
1: Ooh, oh, this is really good. I would, you know what I would tell myself? I think I would tell myself that I needed to do this deeper dive and look at myself and do this process of forgiving and understanding all of the, the past and get into that work faster and quicker. And that I would probably tell myself don't spend weeks researching strollers because I did that. I remember spending so many days reading stroller reviews and planning my you know list for my registry and uh, preparing for the birth which was you know a one day event which is great to do, but I I would have I would tell myself to prepare myself better and use the that time the expecting months and the the first the beginning uh, to set myself up for a success that way
0: beautiful so better better preparation to become a parent and not just the birth. Which, which is so important. Well, Lorena, this has been a delightful conversation. Thank you for coming on. Any, any parting words that you would like to leave our listeners with?
1: Uh, yeah, let me think. I, I think I would. If anybody can can go with one thing, is that this idea that it's so possible to parent without causing so much emotional harm. When I think about. You know, as adults, right, we, we spend most of our adult lives trying to sort it out the emotional damage of the first decade, right? Even if we're going to therapy, we, we're still talking about mom and dad issues and that child, that kid that bullied us in elementary school. And I would, you know, talk, I would leave parents with this, you know, mindset shift that um, it's much easier than we think because it is about our thinking. And if you think about, you can change a thought in a moment, right? Even if you are in a bad dynamic, some parents come to me with nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds or preteens, and they think it's too late uh, and it's gonna take forever to change. And I say, no, it just really take an instant because if you can change your mind, you can change your life, right? It's really, you change the way you think and you change everything. And if you help your child change the way they think, you change everything. So I would give parents this, uh, you know, just this certainty that if you do give your family this, you know, invincible mindset and uh, unbreakable sense of connection and an unshakable sense of self with all these amazing skills, um, you know, the success is inevitable, it's really all the listening, the cooperation, everything that we want in our parenting, the joy, the ease is all possible um, as soon as we, we put that in place. And that doesn't take that. It's not that hard. <laughs> it's actually quite simple. Um, and for me, when I think of my life, right, coming from that upbringing and wanting to yell or raise my voice when my my oldest was two to now that she's 12, um, you know, for ten years, I am so happy to think that you know they don't know what it's like to be spanked or to be punished. Um, they they say that they they were on timeout once in ten years. So I feel that for me, I just feel proud of you know the transformation that I was able to create for myself and I'm super hopeful for the transformation that all of the parents listening can make for themselves too.
0: Mm, Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Lorena, for all of your wisdom in sharing this beautiful journey. Thank you. You're
1: welcome. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Art of Parenting podcast. And if you did, please share it with your loved ones and make sure to leave a review so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, Let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.